today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. The Hamilton Tiger Cats have had a pretty busy offseason so far, and uh, the rest of the CFL is getting ready for 2021. The Tiger Cats have made uh, some noise, especially over the last week, and and hopefully a return to football after the pandemic wiped out 2020 is going to come in 2021. Our fingers are crossed so tightly that it's starting to hurt. We need football back in the hammer and really across the country. And, and that goes for U sports as well and, and high school sports uh, for sure. Joining us now is the head coach of the Hamilton Tiger Cats, Orlando Steinhauer. Oh, how are you? I'm doing great, Rick. Yourself? Not too bad. How was your Christmas? Oh, it was good. Thanks for asking. It's always good to be around around family and and uh, settle in been been a tough year on everybody so it's uh it, it was nice it was nice my oldest daughter's home from from school so it's going it's going great Tie Cats fans are certainly very interested in hearing how long your new contract is for they want to see you in black and gold for a long long time can you share any of those details yep i'll be back for 2021 no <laughs> i uh no yeah, no, it's a, it's a basically a three year deal, um, and and that's where it's at. So um, it's it's just exciting to uh, you know everything's always fluid year to year, but that's basically what it is, and and we'll go from there. It's great to hear. It's it's awesome to have you uh, in Hamilton. You've done a wonderful job. The proof was in the pudding last year, and and hopefully in 2021 there's going to be a trophy at the end of that to celebrate with. But that that's a long time from here, and a lot of things have to be put in place uh, to get there, obviously. But I do want to talk about uh, your offensive and defensive coordinators as well. Tommy Condell is coming back. That was announced yesterday. Mark Washington as well. It was quite obvious that there was no reason to make a change here, right? No, well, you know th- these guys were my first choice from the beginning. Uh, when you, you speak with Tommy, Tommy and I have a, a long history dating back to 2013, and of course Tommy had been in the league before, and and uh, we've just we've just grown a bond that's withstood the test of time. And you know I understand him as a man, as a person, uh, his goals, just his passion for the game, and so just really fortunate that it worked out um, even when June Jones was coming back as the coordinator, it was imperative that I'm just a true believer and you can't have enough great people. And, you know, Tommy's one of those people. So uh, the fact that he was willing to come on as just the receiver coach at that point in time was, was huge. Um, and then obviously thrust into the role as where he belongs. And that's, that's to coordinate it. it, it he was thrust into it and did an outstanding job. So uh, there was, there's never a question in my mind as to, um, replacing Tommy in any aspect like that. And, you know, when it comes to Mark, you know, after I interviewed Mark, when he came in, you know, I've always appreciated Mark's play from a distance and then his body of work as a DB coach. And obviously as a defensive coordinator for the BC Lions, again, it was such a relief when he came in the building that my only hesitation was, does he feel the same thing in his gut that I feel in mine? You know, when you're, it's not even an interview, when we're having our conversation, once he, I, we got him on campus, I knew that this was the right man uh, for our organization to to make it better. And uh, as you know, defense is dear to my heart. That wasn't an easy thing to turn over. So, um, you know, but he, he's done it seamlessly. And to get those guys back, and like I said in, in the release, to have them and their family commit to wanting to be here. It's bigger than football. I think people don't realize that it, it comes down to, you know, they, their kids go to school. Uh, they have, they have families, they have wives, they have 
other people that are vested in this. It's not just, well, he, he's the coordinator. Like the people part does come into it. And so the fact that, you know, there's other steps that have to agree to it than them just wanting to be Hamilton. Their families have to agree to it, too. So I thank them also. You made me chuckle a little bit when uh, you referred to not uh, wanting to give up, uh, you know, the, the the defensive part of being, uh, you know, a coach. Did you at all consider that in year one to be head coach slash D.C., or was that something that you were willing to relinquish uh, pretty early on? Absolutely, I was willing to do it. Um, in my first go-around as, a, as, a, as the head coach, I thought it would be best served for the organization of myself to be more well-rounded and not turn my back to per se one side of the ball uh, in practice and just be, be a supportive and be like a conduit and just channel people's energy. I feel like that's one of my strengths and that I wouldn't be, you know, doing the job to the best of my ability if I was committed to the defense in the same way. With that being said, if the right person uh, did not surface, then I would have coached the defense 100%. But after talking with Mark, it was so apparent that this was supposed to happen. Um, we're supposed to cross paths finally that it made it really easy. So fancy directly, there's there's no way I would have turned it over to just anybody. Um, and Mark's obviously not just anybody. Hey, it's worked out uh, very well. I'll say that fifteen and three is nothing to sneeze at. Uh, you know, a record number of wins uh, in twenty nineteen. Uh, you know, uh, records all over the place. Uh, guys, uh, you know, playing out of their skin, uh, both offensively and defensively. Was and special teams as well. We shouldn't ignore that uh, phase of the game uh, either. It was a uh, a phenomenal performance in in twenty nineteen. Do you see Mark and, and Tommy and and maybe even others on your staff being head coaches? in the league someday? Because I would imagine that many assistant coaches or coordinators want to be that guy in in some place. Yeah, I think that uh, Tommy and Mark will get their their opportunity at some time. Um, they, the thing I appreciate about them is I see a lot of myself in them from the standpoint that, you know, my name was, was thrown around quite a bit for a number of years. Uh, before the opportunity came, but I was, it's like other people wanted it more than I did. I was never in a hurry for this seat. Um, I thought it may happen one day, but I loved, you know, for example, I loved coaching the DDs when I was in Toronto and in my first year here, along with James Stanley. And then when I was the coordinator, like I was just so, you know, I was, I loved my job. I loved what I was in charge of. And, and, you know, the byproduct was just, you know, the opportunities for head coaching. And I see a lot of that in Mark and Tommy is that they want to be the best they can be with where they're at. They're going to do it. You know, they're at a point in their career where they're going to, they're going to do it with the right people also, as long as the fit. And I think they're aware that at some point their time will come, but I don't get the sense that they're, they're rushing it or disappointed for being passed over or any of those things. I get the sense that they're fired up. They're the head coach of the defense and the offense. And, they love what, you know, loving where you work is, is a big piece of it. And that's what I sense from them. But I definitely see that. Um, I think all coaches at some point, you know, I know that uh, Mike Gibson has been a head coach, albeit at the collegiate level and things like that. I think people will kind of have that itch. And, you know, when it gets scratched, isn't always up to the person. So I always think it's important to find out what the staff's goals are. But I do see uh, head coaching in, in, you know, other people on our staff's future. 
Rick Samprin in for Bill Kelly on uh, the Bill Kelly Show here on 980 CFPL London, 900 CHML Hamilton. Our guest is the head coach of the Hamilton Tiger Cats, Orlando Steinauer. The uh, Tiger Cats announcing a number of player signings over the holidays. Uh, Braylon Addison, Sean Thomas Erlington, John Axon, uh, Don Jackson, a, a couple of others. Uh, because of the pandemic and really the upheaval that it's caused, are contract negotiations easier or harder? I think it's a mixture of both. And I know that's a straddle the fence answer, but I think it's the most accurate. Where some people are chomping to get back, uh, there's a different layout or there's a different landscape. And people are, you know, trying to establish their values, whereas some people are, are just all in. And that doesn't mean that they're settling for anything. They just want to belong and have a direction. So I would say that some possibly are a little bit easier. And I think some are going to prove more difficult, not just for the Hamilton Tiger Cats, but across the league. So, I can see some that really get strung out and, you know, there'll be a source of uh, probably frustration both on the players and the agents and even, you know, general managers and coaches side, but it's just uh, the life we live in right now. And you put your best foot forward and you try to, you know, remain, you try to keep some continuity, but you know that there's a most, most often there's going to be some change. Uh, Edmonton uh, quarterback Trevor Harris recently renegotiated his contract to fit basically the new reality of, of COVID-19 and, and what the league has gone through. Do you anticipate more players, maybe even some here in Hamilton, doing the same? You know, each player is going to have their own individual thought process on the thing. Um, you know, Trevor and a lot these other quarterbacks, uh, I think that they – they realize that regardless of whatever, whether they restructure or not, they kind of have to make that decision because then it does affect everybody else in the organization, meaning their teammates that you can sign, right? So the salary kind of starts at the top, and then you got to work your way down. And until you know that one, it's kind of hard to fill in the rest, the rest of your pieces. Uh, it doesn't make it impossible. You still can can get some other things done, but it, it just makes it a lot cleaner. So. Um, yeah, I, I see restructures going on throughout the whole league. Um, and, you know, how much, you know, again, time will tell. I don't have a crystal ball, but I definitely think it's on the horizon. The Ticats and really every other team in the CFL has a long list of free agents. It's just the nature of the beast when, when a, an entire season gets wiped out. And there's some pretty big names on, on your list. Uh, Jeremiah Masoli, Simone Lawrence, uh, 2019 MOP Brandon Banks. Should Ticats fans accept, expect them back in black and gold next year? Why not? I think you should set expectations high. You know, we'd, we'd love to have them all back. And, you know, we'll put our, our best foot forward. But at the end of the day, you know, the reality is, you know, it, it's got to be a win for both both the player and it's got to be a win for the organization. So th- those guys are staple people. I don't think there's any secret we want. We want to get those guys back into the black and gold. You know, we'd be fired up. And, you know, if we could, if I could announce it tomorrow, we'd announce it. But um, there's so many, there's so many big names and people that uh, helped us achieve last year and and even previous years in in some cases with the names you mentioned. So uh, we we hope to get them all back in the black and gold. Uh, I just would say that it's it's probably going to be um, a little bit longer process than than normal. Looking back at this year, uh, you know, being a, a competitive guy, how hard was it not to play a down this year, especially? after losing the Grey Cup in 2019? Um, I would say that there's no added incentive because of the loss in in the Grey Cup. We're just wired that, you know, you get this break, 
there's kind of the combine, there's free agency, there's the combine, then there's the draft, and then it's training camp. Like you just, you know, for 20 years, you're wired a certain way. As a, and I'm speaking to myself as a player and as a coach. And then all of a sudden there's a void. It's a different feeling, both emotionally and then everything physically, too, of where you're at. And you couldn't be in a building with the Zoom and those type of things. So, yeah, it was definitely hard not to play. Uh, to say that it caught, um, you know, everybody by surprise, like there was a buildup to it. You know what I mean? You kind of sense that it could go either way. And so I think that once the reality hit that we didn't play, yeah, it, it hit different. It, it struck a different emotional chord. But, you know, to say that, you know, I was blindsided, it would be probably a lie because there's just so many unknowns leading up to it. Um, so, yeah, anytime you don't play, it's hard. Um, but there was no added incentive because of how things turned out. It's just there's a natural gap in your schedule, and uh, you're used to filling it, and it didn't get filled this year. So definitely ready to scratch that itch coming in the uh in 2021 yeah i can imagine i can picture the smile on your face when you finally get back on the field that's going to be a good feeling uh we're chatting with the hamilton tiger cats head coach orlando steinhauer here on the bill kelly show on 980 cfpl london and 900 chml hamilton we've got a couple more minutes with orlando um there was some serious talk about playing an abbreviated season in a bubble in winnipeg starting in and around labor day how interested or excited were you about that oh do i still have you you still there? Hey, Orlando. I, I lost you, Rick. I, I, we got you back, oh. so <laughs> do I have you? Sorry about that. Hey, it's 2020. Yeah, absolutely. Sorry about that. That's okay. The thought of the bubble uh, format in Winnipeg, I know there was some talk about uh, you know holding an abbreviated season in and around Labor Day or starting it in and around Labor Day. How interested were you in, in, in doing that? Yeah, I, I'm interested in playing football, to be honest with you. And that sounds real clean but really that was what it was and you know it had to make sense for everybody and that sort of thing but yeah yeah there was going to be some some challenges with it and some things that we were going to have to work through and i don't think everything could have been answered um until you actually get into it but football is just so different than basketball or hot like you're dealing with so many more people so just you know it's just a different dynamic and that's probably a half hour a half hour show in itself but you know i'm interested in playing football but it's got to be, it's got to make sense, uh, not just uh, monetarily for everything, but it's got to make sense health-wise, too. And we made a decision, and I think you can tell, but there's been a lot of games postponed and canceled uh, football-wise that, um, you know, it's hard. You can, you can set out with a great plan and a safe plan, but at the end of the day, um, you know, there's been probably just as many cancellations and, and postponements as there has been games played. Uh, when we're speaking college football. So um, I'm interested in playing football, but, uh, you know, I'll let the experts and the scientists handle that portion. And if they give us the green light, we'll be ready to play. We got to run. I I wish we had a lot more time, but we're against the clock here. Orlando Steinauer, head coach of the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Thanks for joining us today and uh, enjoy the new year. And hopefully we're back on the field in 2021. Yeah, back at you. Happy New Year in advance, and thanks for having me on. Thank you. Orlando Steinauer, head coach of the Hamilton Tiger Cats, joining us. When we return, we're going to flip from the football field to the hockey rink, and we'll talk about the year that was in the NHL, and we'll look forward to the 2020-21 season as well. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. The pandemic has certainly impacted sports in 2020, and hockey really was not spared at all. The NHL had to push, uh, really had to pause its season, then 
you know, restart in the summer. Uh, the Ontario Hockey League postponed last season. It uh, was hoping to restart in December. It's de- it's it's delayed a February start, a target date for the 2020-21 season because of Ontario's uh, lockdown. Uh, Sport Minister Lisa McLeod says she's not sure what the league's next step is going to be. I think it would be the league that would make their the term, determination on whether or not they would cancel. Uh, I just can't say today that uh, they have clearance from the Chief Medical Officer of Health. They, they don't. Um, so I don't know what that will look like for them. So yeah, really the ball, or, or I guess the puck in this case, is still very much up in the air. The OHL has... As we know, three teams based in the U.S. as well. So there's the non-essential travel ban at the border to contend with. Uh, that has to be settled by the federal government. So there's a, a lot of you know different hands in the, uh, the cookie jar here trying to get uh, a piece of the snack to make sure that the OHL season uh, proceeds, I was going to say as scheduled, but really it's not as scheduled because it was supposed to start uh, you know, this month, earlier this month. And the NHL, as I mentioned, you know, Paused in March, restarted in the summer, completed its season, and now, uh, you know, hopefully January 13th, as, you know, the, the, the game number one, as the schedule was was released a, a week or so ago, is uh, going to happen, pandemic or not. So let's dive into the National Hockey League's upcoming season. And joining us and helping us to do that is Sean Fitzgerald, senior national writer for The Athletic, and he joins us now. Sean, how are you? Rick, best of the season to you. Yes, happy holidays to you. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping your Christmas uh, went well, and uh, your New Year is going to be celebrated, uh, you know, remotely or on Zoom or however you plan to do so. Yeah, well, I'm back to work today, and the kids are home from school, so it sounds a bit like a prison riot in the basement. But other <laughs> than that, you know what? All things considered, in 2020, we are exceptionally fortunate and lucky. Excellent. What one word would you use to describe the 2019-20 NHL season? Mine is insane because it was absolute bonkers the way it all played out. And eventually, I think it ended as well it was as it was going to. What one word would you use? Well, it's only 1030 in the morning, so I don't know if the CRTC <laughs> would let me use it. Okay, well, hey, Rick, I'm we'll, not sure. We'll, we'll, I'd have to go back and read some of the CRTC broadcast regulations, but <laughs> let's just assume that it's 1038. On a Tuesday morning in December, no, I would not be allowed to use that. Okay, we'll we'll let that one slide. Um, I'm not sure even the most ardent hockey fan was enthusiastic about watching games in the summer months. You know, the play-in round was good. The first round, in my opinion, of the Stanley Cup playoffs is always the most exciting. And maybe because, you know, a lot of the Canadian teams weren't playing by round three and certainly round four and beyond. But the longer the summer playoff bubble went on, at least to me, the novelty kind of wore off and it just didn't feel right. How about you? Yeah, I mean, when it started, um, there was a lot of, I think, curiosity, right? Like, one, yeah, people had been deprived of Stanley Cup playoffs for the third time in history. The first was, you know, during the Spanish flu epidemic a century ago, which we're becoming more and more familiar with. And that's the one where, you know, poor Joe Hall died of the influenza while playing with the Canadians in Seattle. The other was due to a lockout. So fans were deprived of that. So when it came back in the summer, I think there was a novelty factor. Um, the first game was with the Edmonton Oilers playing on a Saturday afternoon, and, and I think it grew almost an average-minute audience of about a million Canadians, and, and that's on a nice, sunny, warm day across the country. But you're right. Um, there are a bunch of factors that played into the fact that um, ratings just weren't reflective of sort of the, the moment. You'd, you'd expect that Stanley Cup playoffs would, would draw pretty well in Canada when there's not much else to do. But the fact of the matter was that I think it was game two of the Stanley Cup final, the final, 
drew fewer audience, uh, drew fewer eyeballs on average than that first game between Edmonton and I think it was Chicago. So if you think about it, like the game two of the Stanley Cup final drew fewer viewers than the first game of the play-in round on a Saturday afternoon in August. So, you know, why is that? I mean, one, that should be alarming if you're the NHL. But, you know, two, there's a bunch of different factors that go into it. One is that we're not used to watching Stanley Cup finals in September. Uh, two is there's there's a global pandemic going on that might take away some of your um, focus from, you know, your normal activities like watching hockey. And three is that, I mean, frankly, you know, one of the NHL playoff games went up against Monday night football, which I'm not sure that happens an awful lot. There was a lot of competition in the fall when all of these leagues and different organizations tried to get their schedules sort of mushed into a couple of weeks. So you had, you know, all of the major leagues, you know, the NBA, you had the major league baseball, you had NFL, you had everything, you had golf, um, all competing for the same sort of viewers in a lot of ways. And I think you reached a saturation point. So the NHL season, you know, from a viewer sort of, avidity standpoint sort of petered out pretty quietly. Looking back on the Toronto and Edmonton bubbles, what lessons do you think the NHL and the players learned about playing during a pandemic? In, in other words, what worked and what didn't work? I mean, one thing is I, I count myself among the skeptics, and I, I said it often, um, that I didn't think the bubble would work. I was wrong. And not for the first time and not for the last time, but I was wrong. Um, they managed to keep the players safe. That you know, by putting them in a in a literal walled compound here in Toronto. You know, if you if you drove by this you know the exhibition place, um, you could see that they had the wall up with the NHL bunting, and around the Royal York Hotel, they had you know fences up around there to physically shield players away from the general public and also to you know prevent intermingling players couldn't go to tim hortons to get a coffee they couldn't go to a shopper's drug mart to go get a new toothbrush if they wanted that you know the nhl found a way to make it work now it worked in so far as they were able to complete the stanley cup playoffs um with minimal disruption um they're able to get that done and keep the players and the coaches and the staff safe the challenge is is the mental toll that people weren't sure about going in fully revealed itself at the end. You know, players in the summer spoke about how, you know, going from the hotel to the rink, that that some of them didn't go outside for three days, that um, they're separated from family and friends and children. Um, They're they're taken out of their normal lives and that that has a huge toll. And it's easy for us on the outside to go, well, yes, they're they're handsomely compensated for what they're making. But the fact of the matter is... um, they're, they're still human, and, and that has a real toll. So I'm not sure the bubble, certainly over the course of a regular season, could possibly be replicated. One, because of its expense. Two, because of the fact that you know there are many, many more teams involved in the regular season than playoffs. And three, because of the toll it would exact uh, on its participants. We're chatting about uh, the year that was in uh, hockey with Sean Fitzgerald, senior national writer for The Athletic. He's also the author of Before the Lights Go Out, a season inside a game on the brink. Uh, check it out at your favorite uh, bookstore online, of course, due to the lockdown, but uh, you can get it uh, anywhere online. Um, and that was written before the pandemic. You might you might have a secondary book coming up soon. I'm not sure. What, are you working on anything? <laughs> before the lights go out, it turned out to be kind of a too literal interpretation of what was going on. So I apologize for that, everybody. Yeah. Oh, it is a great book, though. So, uh, yeah, check it out in your online uh, bookstore. Uh, speaking of hockey, the OHL, um, the WHL delaying the start of their seasons due to COVID-19. The Q went ahead and played games, but had a rash of outbreaks. Is it only natural to, to uh, uh, I guess, accept that the NHL is bound to have some COVID-19 outbreaks throughout the season? 
Yeah, I mean, the NHL, it's going to be a tricky proposition without the bubble. Um, and and you don't have to look very far, for example. You can you know, take a look at Major League Baseball, which went ahead as, you know, teams hopscotching across the continent, um, playing outside the bubble, albeit following protocol, but again, outside the bubble. Um, you had teams that, you know, had only played a handful of games, you know, a quarter way in the season because of uh, COVID challenges. I mean, look at the NFL. Now, granted, those are larger rosters, a lot more people involved. But, I mean, the Denver Broncos had to play a game without a quarterback because all the quarterbacks had potentially faced exposure to COVID-19. The Cleveland Browns, just over the weekend, in a critical game for their playoff future, just had to play a game without any of their top four receivers because the whole position group had you know, faced potential exposure to COVID-19. So there are huge risks. And, and most importantly, and I think it's really important to underscore this, is that you know, the primary risk here isn't to the integrity of the NHL schedule. It's not to, you know, whether the Leafs will win that third game in a row or face a postponement. It's, it's to the health and well-being of everybody involved, and not just the players who are in a, a lower-risk group, although not a no-risk group, um, but, you know, to the folks that they might interact with and potentially pass these things along to. It's the, it's the, the risk to everyone's health that is the primary concern. And, you know, the, the effects on the integrity of the schedule and the disruptions and possible postponements, cancellations, and who knows what, um, that's sort of the great adventure that the NHL is going to be heading into because epidemiologists and infectious disease experts um, seem to be suggesting quite strongly that, you know, January... February, March, April could be some of the darkest times of this pandemic. Without a doubt. And when looking at the upcoming season, which is, uh, again, slated to start January 13th, so we're really just a couple of weeks away here, will the teams that best deflect COVID-19 have an advantage over teams that don't? Is that an understatement? Uh, I mean, it's, it's going to be impossible, I think, to keep it out entirely. It's just the nature of this thing that, you know, COVID-19 has shown itself really adept at undermining the greatest of human intentions. And unfortunately, here in North America, in the United States and Canada, you know, our plans uh, weren't arguably that great to begin with. So uh, how do you keep players safe when you can't keep the community safe around it? And if you're not in the bubble, there's always going to be that risk of you know disruption and, you know, heaven forbid, of uh, somebody getting really sick because they're traveling around playing the game. Sean Fitzgerald is our guest, senior writer, senior national writer for The Athletic here on uh, The Bill Kelly Show on 980 CFPL London, 900 CHML Hamilton. Rick in for Bill today. Due to the pandemic, and uh, obviously we have the non-essential travel ban at the Canada-U.S. border still in effect, the NHL season is going to include four realigned divisions with only interdivisional play uh, on the schedule. So that means all Canadian teams are going to be in one division. That's Toronto, Ottawa, Montreal, Winnipeg, Calgary, Edmonton, Vancouver. I'm excited about this. Are you excited about this new, albeit temporary, North Division? Yeah, I mean, the novelty factor will be interesting, and certainly it'll do pretty well, I think, to rekindle some rivalry. Um, I, I mean, one thing it is, it is going to, you know, you're not going to see some of the big stars in the game. I'll be, you'll, you know, there are plenty of big stars. There's Austin Matthews, there's Connor McDavid, there's Elias Patterson, uh, but you're not going to see as many of the U.S. stars, you know, U.S.-based stars, any of them play your local favorite hockey team. Um, you're going to have to watch. Uh, I mean, they'll still be on television, but you're not going to see you know, your Sidney Crosby or Alexander Ovechkin playing against your local Canadian team. I think that'll be one thing. I think the other one, too, is that um, the travel um, might be a bit of a challenge um, because it is, you know, they're not north-south, it's east-west, and Canada happens to be a pretty large country, geographically speaking. Um, but I think the novelty will carry it for the first little while, and then 
you know, if you want to be really optimistic about things, by the time you might start getting bored of it, it'll be nice and warm, and hopefully some of these case counts will start dropping, and we'll get closer to getting a vaccine in our arm, and if you don't like it, you can move on to other things. <laughs> which team, this might be an impossible question to answer, but which team should win the Canadian division? Which team will win the Canadian division? It's a really interesting question. I would have to think that it might be, you know, it's so tough to say because there's so many variables, right? That, I mean, you're going to be playing in empty stadiums again. You're going to be playing without fans, and that might impact some players more than others or some teams more than others. You've seen it in the NFL um, where players have started talking about how tough it is to get really excited for a game when there's no fans there yelling and screaming them on. And, you know, some players might alternatively sort of enjoy that, not being heckled or booed and maybe outperform. And that's on top of the fact that, again, as we're circling back, you're dealing with something that nobody has really dealt with on this level in a century, which is a global pandemic, um, you know, and the waves of which are not yet done crashing upon our shores. Um, you remember that the 1919 Stanley Cup was canceled because of the Spanish influenza's third wave, not the first or second, the third wave that crashed into North America. So there's still a bunch of variables. And I think because of that, um, really projecting ahead would be really difficult because this isn't like any season that the NHL has embarked upon. Well, I'm saying Toronto and Toronto, but that's just because I'm a Leafs fan. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of which, I think the last time we chatted, we talked about how many more playoff disappointments Toronto could endure before there's a big change in hockey's mecca. Is 2021 it? Or, I mean, is there a built-in excuse because of the pandemic that if things don't work out, they can continue on the path that they're on? I mean, it's really tough to say, but I do think that, yeah, if if Toronto continues its you know recent history of early exits, I think some of the harder questions, which you saw asked after you know Toronto fell to Columbus this summer, that some of the questions started circling, some of the support maybe dwindled for Toronto's front office. Um, but yeah, I think if if there isn't a better showing, certainly with the players that the Leafs have added, and some of the you know if this was a normal season, I think there'd be legitimate excitement and anticipation building for this season because they do have that young core of talent built in with, you know, folks who always like that, you know, grit and the cliche of grit in the lineup. They've added that. So, you know, if you like the idea of a potential balance on a roster between that high level talent, you know, the analytics and the old fashioned grit, um, this should come pretty close to satisfying everybody. If, if they do have that early exit, um, then that would potentially provide ammunition for folks advocating for change. That being said, the big caveat still is COVID-19, and who knows what toll it might exact from any roster across the league. Uh, Joe Thornton, Wayne Simmons, TJ Brody, Zach Bogosian, some of the new names on the Leafs roster, any of those guys poised to make a a big impact, or or maybe who among that group would make the biggest impact? Well, I mean, the biggest impact is always going to have to be, and this is where the real, you know, you come back to the, the people who are going to challenge where the Leafs are and criticize them, it has to fall on the young core. It has to fall on the people who are going to be driving the bus. That's your your Austin Matthews, your William Nylanders, your Mitch Marners, and, you know, on the back end, your, your Morgan Riley. Those are the folks that, you know, in a normal season, people would be able to go and pay to see to watch, right? The, the idea of, of adding a Thornton, a Simmons, a Bogosian, it's to be a really strong supporting cast, to be supporting characters, to help fill in the gaps when those those top flight guys aren't on the ice that you're going to be able to continue to compete. And that's where it is. And none of these guys are going to be expected to lead the Leafs in scoring uh, or do much of anything other than offer support. And, and that's uh, you know, going to be the huge measure of this. And what that does is it kind of shifts 
the focus back onto those top end guys. If they don't produce, then I think some of the criticism is going to be maybe as sharp as they've ever faced in Toronto. Should be. Sean Fitzgerald has been our guest, senior national writer for The Athletic, also the author of Before the Lights Go Out, a season inside a game on the brink. Check it out on your favorite online uh, bookstore. And uh, once the lockdown is done, head to a a physical bookstore and buy it and and support uh, local business as well. Sean, really appreciate the time. Uh, Enjoy the rest of the holiday season, and uh, we'll talk to you soon in 2021. Thank you very much. Hopefully at that point in 2021, we'll be able to get into a stadium again. I hope so. Sean, thanks for the time. Bye-bye. Sean Fitzgerald, uh, again, senior national writer for The Athletic. Uh, check him out online. The Athletic, uh, I think it's theathletic.com. I always get it mixed up. .ca.com. Just Google it. That's what the kids are doing. The Bill Kelly Show. Weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.